Many of you would have received your email this week encouraging you to listen to the podcast from last week. Church, just give me your attention if you will, please. I really encourage you, I really do, to, to listen to the message again so that we can get what God is saying to us because it's going to affect every one of us. It is affecting every one of us. So please listen to it because where we're going in the next couple of weeks, you'll understand more and more that it's... You know, we are in a crossing, crossroad junction moment. There's many words you can use. You can use crossing over. You can use crossroad juncture. You can use get in the boat, go to the other side. But the word that Lord's releasing to us is the crossroad because out of that, there are some things he wants to teach us and show us in that. So please listen to the podcast. Listen to this week's podcast. Then I noticed his family's missing. So let's just let them know that this is on. Let's get everybody involved. Yeah. Two months ago in the building spirit, in our prayer night, the thing about building in the spirit is this. For some people, it's a great opportunity just to worship freely. For other people, the chairs go, go back and you've got space to do your, I don't know what you call it, your, your butterfly dance or whatever it is you want to do. But the thing about building in the spirit is it's a highly charged atmosphere. It's a prophetic atmosphere that when you begin to assemble... And the people of God begin to switch on and the frequency begins to, you know, we all join our hearts and the frequency becomes clear to us all. Things are said that God holds us accountable for. Do you know that? And two months ago, I remember just standing here and saying that I felt that if we don't change in the next coming months, we're going to get put back a decade. Little did I, I mean, what I said that night, I meant it. But little did I have, I should say, let me rephrase, I did not have the understanding that I do now. When I made that comment, it was true then. It seems even more true now to me because of what I know and what God's been showing me in that period of time. You know, going to Australia was a good thing for me. Again, God speaks to me when I'm on the road sometimes. And just as I'm ministering in that conference, that conference is ministering to me. So, you know, I felt like I, I got more back, I got more from them than they, I gave to them. They might disagree with that. They might say, yeah, you're absolutely right. But the point is, is that I, God speaks to me when I'm in different places. And it's good because I'm giving out to you. I've got to go, I've got to, even though I went to that conference to give, God was giving far more to me than I was giving to the people. And that's beautiful when that happens. And so we know that the atmosphere is, is 100% charged in building the spirit. And God holds us accountable. Many of the miracles and many of the breakthroughs we've had have come as a result of that atmosphere. And that's why that atmosphere is very key for us to declare certain things and wrestle for certain things and lay hold of certain things. God gives us a platform to, to launch. We know there is strength when we come together. Is that true? Right, so what God wants us to do is take what's in the atmosphere and then you carry it in your life so that you can become a breakthrough atmosphere. Would you agree with that? So I really believe that our nation is at a crossroad. I believe every city is at the crossroad. I believe every family is at a crossroad. So if, if, the, if the stakes of the nation are high, then how much... Should the church be awake? Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray. He didn't say close your eyes. He said, watch. 
Now, I would have, I, to me, that is the one seat out of all the tickets in all the world, whether the Grand Prix, whether the Oscars, you think of whatever prestigious event you want tickets for, that's the one ticket I wanted to be at. I wanted to see how Jesus prayed with his father. And they, here they had, they had the tickets to the, to the golden moment, and what did they do? Fall asleep. What imagine? Can you imagine how just watching Jesus dialogue with his father, imagine that, what would that do for your prayer life? Just imagine that moment. But to me, that is the, you ever want a ticket for any event, that's the one. What a moment. And yet, at the moment they were needed, they fell asleep. But bless Jesus, he didn't, he didn't you know, throw them to one side. He rebuked them. Of course he did. But he knew that it's okay, son, there's going to be a lot more hours when you're going to need to stay awake, and you will be awake. But in your moment, in your moment, you need to be awake. In your moment. You cannot be asleep in your moment. Because that moment will pass you by. How many of you know that? So, I know that if you're going nowhere in life, you don't need any fuel for the journey. If you've got a car and you never take it anywhere, why fill it with petrol? Just leave it there. But if you're going somewhere... How much, how expensive does fuel become when you're going somewhere? You know that's the, that, that fuel is worth whatever you can see. Why, the reason why you're going down your journey, whatever you're going, you can see that that fuel is so precious to me. I need that fuel to get where I'm going. And I would like to think that God has put fuel in our tank. And he's put enough fuel in our tank to get us to where we need to go. I've got enough fuel in me. Paul's got it. Phil's got it, to hand the baton over. I believe we've got that fuel in our tank. But it's, it's how we use that fuel. I, think, I believe God's given us enough fuel to raise you guys up, to raise arrows, to raise standard bearers. I believe God's given us that, to raise disciples. I believe God's given us that fuel, and he's increasing. He's increasing that fuel capacity. What I can't necessarily say is whether you've got the capacity to set the fuel. That's for you to work out. I've had to work it out in me. So in Jeremiah 6.16, I didn't have time to put the slides together because I was in here early this morning putting the finishing touches to this message, so I didn't have time. So you're going to have to go the conventional way. It's called Year Bible. Dear me. <laughs> Jeremiah 6, verse 16. We read it in our prayer meeting this morning. This is what the Lord says. So who's speaking? So when God says, this is what the Lord says, then there needs to be a response to what the Lord says and what the Lord is saying. We need to know who's the one doing the speaking. Yes? So he tells us to stand at the crossroads and look. Look for what? Look for the ancient path. Paths. Now, it just, it's interesting. Many of us were on a path before God rescued us. There is only one way, but God, listen, God is in all paths, but not all paths lead to God. Do you realize that? All paths do not lead to God. That is a humanistic thought, philosophy. But God is on all paths. God can speak on any path you're on, whether you're on the, on the path of drugs, on the, on the path of destruction. God can meet us right there. And God begins to rescue us and sends people down that path so that we can 
It can intersect us, intercept us, that's the word, intercept us on that road, pull us off that road and bring us on his path. Thank God for that. But there is an ancient path, one that was built before the foundations of the world. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. So we see the path is good and we see it's a good path to walk in. All we need to do is ask. Yes? And you'll find rest for your soul. There's the benefit right there. If you ask, the consequence of that will be you'll find rest for your soul. Who wants rest for the soul? Well, sure, everybody wants rest for the soul. But you've got to ask and you've got to search for it. It's not always there. It's not plain. Why? Because there are things hidden. God has to reveal. Broad is the road that leads to where? But narrow is the path that leads to? Many walk on the path and end up in destruction. But few find the, the, the narrow path. And I've, I worked out a long time ago. It's only until you find the narrow path, you realize the value of purpose. Because if, if every road is an option for you, there's no purpose in your life. You cannot take every road to get where you want to get to. There is a path that you have to take. And it's not enough to get on the path. You must keep walking in it. What did he say there? And walk in it. He didn't say the goal was to get on the path. He said, walk in the path. We must keep walking in this path. So many Christians think because they're on the path now, that's it. Now they live by the law of the least effort. Yeah? But you must apply yourself. You must keep walking. How many of you know, there's an old lady on Ashnall Road. And Carol and I have seen this old lady. And I feel totally sorry for this old lady. She has this uh, basket. And I'm telling you, her feet like that. And she's no, no faster than that. And she walks the full length of Ashnall. Well, not the full length. She walks from Grandsmere Avenue all the way down to Morrison's. It must take the lady an hour just to get there. Then she's got to get all the way back. And she's, she's got a scarf and she's got a coat. and things. You must be ringing through. Right? And, she's, and her head's down. And yet that woman's determined every day she's going to go and get her groceries. That woman puts effort into her journey. And I just, every time Carol and I look at, look at when we're coming to uh, work in the morning, and you see it on the other side of the road, just thinking, oh my Lord, it's a pity someone just cannot go and do that sh- lady shopping. Maybe one morning I might go and do it. Maybe. But this lady puts effort into that path. She knows every morning, turn right, go straight. Come out, go left, straight back. That's her journey. So, if you ask for the good way, walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said, we ain't going to walk in it. So I appointed watchmen. So God brings the next tier in now to help this, the searcher. We'll bring, I'll, I'll, I'll point a watchman over you. But listen to the sound of the trumpet. So now there's another piece of effort involved. First of all, walk. Now you've got to listen. But you said, nah, ain't going to listen. I know a better way. Hero Worth, he said, okay, if you're not going to listen, you're not going to walk, you need to, he says to the nations, oh, nations, watch, listen, observe. I'm about to use Israel as an illustration of what will happen to all those who don't do what I'm saying. Now, God's calling on the nations to watch 
Because now he's going to set them as an example. How many of your friends has God used as an example to teach you a lesson, but you still didn't watch and you still didn't listen? Whoa. How many of your friends have, have gone in a different path and you still can't see? All you see is they just don't want church. You must see the severity. We spoke, we found, uh, Carol bumped into Debbie Lane last week. Friend that we used to be, uh, used to be uh, part of a church. It's amazing when you, when you meet people you've not seen for like, it must be 20 years since I've seen Deb, longer than that. And Carol meets her on the road and she comes up to Carol. 20 odd years since we've seen her. And yet you can clearly see where she left the path. And you can clearly, Carol said to me, she says, I felt so uncomfortable inside my heart. I said, why? She says, I haven't got a clue. But everything was screaming on the inside. This is not right. I said, well, you need to find some understanding from God for that. Because if God wants to teach you something, if God's using this lady as an example, you need to learn the lesson so you know how to respond. Yes? God's, God's bringing us on paths so we can learn things. And he brings people across our paths so we can learn things. And it's a shame that this lady got married to one of the, the, the most spiritual guys in the church when we were all kind of backslid. Well, never even frontslid, did we? We'd never been disciple. She was married to one of the most spiritual guys. Marriage ended, didn't, it didn't last five minutes. So I appointed watchman. She was a lady who didn't want to listen. 20 years later, it didn't sound like she still wanted to listen. So a juncture, what is a juncture? Let me explain to you what a juncture is. A juncture is a point in time, especially a critical point where you have to re-navigate your way in order to stay on the path that you originally chose. Have you ever been like that? You have to put conscious effort to stay on the path that, you originally chose. That's why it becomes critical because at that point in time, if you do not reevaluate what needs to change and what needs to happen, you'll continue on the path and that path is broad and it leads to destruction. So God in his mercy sends watchmen to speak to our lives so that we've always got the voice of God somewhere in our midst. So we've always got a choice. We've always got a choice. We've always got another alternative. If God keeps our, you know, the one thing that keeps you, well, shuts you off from God is the voice of God and your conscience goes dull. Once your conscience goes dull, it gets harder and harder for you to listen to the voice of God. Yes? And only God by his mercy. That's when sometimes you heard an audible voice because you can no longer hear the inner voice. And when you hear the audible voice of God, nine times out of ten, you know what it means? you backslid. You've become hard-hearted. You can't hear the voice of God from the inside. The Holy Spirit speaks to us from the inside. So when God has to speak on the outside, you know you're not in a good place. Think about that. That's not, the, that's not necessarily like that, but 90% God speaks on the inside. I know all the times God spoke to me audibly, I was rebellious. There's only once where I heard God speak audibly to me and I was in a good place. 
So it's not, it doesn't always speak like that, but in a good percentage of the time, it normally speak when you're in rebellion. Okay? So it's a juncture, it's a particular point in time, especially a critical moment where you have to re-navigate your way in order to stay on the path that you originally chose. It's a time when you make a conscious choice. A crossroad is a lot easier. That's the juncture. The crossroad is just a road that crosses from one to another. But, but from there to another, there's a whole valley. There's time gaps. There's doubt. There's fear. There's all kinds of things. That's why you have to make a conscious choice to get from one point to another. So I, pre- I prophetically perceive, and maybe you share this thought, This morning I sent an email out to you all regarding the nation. It's my thoughts, my opinions. I I believe it's time to say something. Even if I'm wrong, I believe it's time to say something. Right? I'll leave it. I know my opinion. I know my thoughts. It's a guide there to help you pray. When I write, I write. You don't get a line from me. You get more than a line. What you do with it is up to you. Our nation has lost its ancient path, and it concerns me. And when it loses the path, it loses the good way. It loses the good way. Yes, because our path's going somewhere. Yes, there is, and what's happening is, folks, is that there is. It's resulting in there is no rest for the souls of the people. Because we've abandoned the ancient path and we no longer talk to God about which way the nation needs to go. Church, I would guarantee a good good high percentage, I bet most churches don't even pray beyond their own needs. I bet most churches don't even pray for the needs of our nation. They're not involved in politics. They're not involved in community, community at that level. They're into social works, but they're not into politics, government. We need to affect the domains. Banking, finance. We need to get in all those domains. Family is a domain. We need to get in these mountains so that we can begin to influence our nation. And hopefully, by prayer and through walking and talking, begin to turn the nation back to the ancient path, the good way, and then the nation finds rest for its soul. That is a whole journey. And do you know what it starts with? A choice. Starts with a decision to seek God for the way. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot have the life if you don't seek the truth and the way. So the proof of what I'm talking about is you look around you, the evidential proof of this unrest is seen in the family. Never have we seen before the family so fragmented, dislocated, dysfunctional than we see today. Why do housing estates get a reputation? Because of dysfunctional families. It's not only in housing estates, it's everywhere. Even with families, it affects every class of people, upper, middle, lower class. Because dysfunctionality is not about money. It's about morality, it's about education, it's about so many things. And yet when you live in a secular humanistic society, this is what you get. 
If you lived in a Christian society, you think of it. Years ago, when our forefathers claimed to be a Christian nation, the behavior in the family was very different than what it is today. We had a conscience, albeit it might have been a religious conscience, but we had a conscience that we need to be in the house of God every week. When religion took over, we're in, we're in the house of God four times a week. Yeah? But all the minds, everything used to shut down. We used to give God a day. And everybody went to church. All the miners would be out, and out in the valleys, would all be out, out the mines in the church. And the churches would be full. We had more churches than we, could, we had people. Did we not? That was how our nation, that was the, a sign of a nation that was walking in a particular path. People had a God conscience. But then as we started to move from the 60s upwards, we began to become secular and increasingly humanistic. And I'm not saying we wasn't secular or humanistic then. We was. But it's been an accelerated move. From, it seems from the 60s upwards. And whenever you get a secular humanistic society, here's the thing, remember, everything is up for reinterpretation. Everything gets reinterpreted. The old paths, the values, the morals, the ethics of a nation, the path is what... I mean, our society doesn't, not only doesn't want us to go down the path, the Christian path, it wants, to, it wants to rip the path up. It wants to remove the path. It's not even happy you walking down it. It wants to obliterate it from our scene. We cannot let that happen. And it's not. And you know, one of the greatest prop, one of the greatest uh, myths, or not myths, what's the word? Deceptions. We've had, it's okay to practice my Christianity in private. Our friends, our Christianity was never designed to be private. It was designed to be public, global. Our kingdom is designed to advance. And forceful men lay hold of it. But people say, I don't mind as long as you can go and practice it in, your, in, the, in the privacy of your own home. And when you do practice it, oh, you don't want that rubbish. So everything's up for reinterpretation. Philosophies. When you get secular humanistic, we adapt, adopt certain philosophies that then begin to claim ethics, values, conscience, all those things then are dictated by the secular liberalism that we're seeing in our nation. And secular liberalism does not have any place and will not give any place for the gospel, for God's word, or for church in society. It has no room for it. That tells you alone that it's demonic. That alone. That is a form of antichrist. Because it stops Christ coming forth. That's what an anti- I'm not talking about the beast. There are many antichrists. You can be an antichrist. You can have an antichrist spirit in you. Anything that stops Christ coming forth is, an, is antichrist. Didn't say you were the antichrist. Albeit, you might be, I don't know. <laughs> Understanding that we're living in this society means that everything... It's being redefined, but also in that redefining, they're trying to redefine you. Which is pretty alarming, to say the least. And when they redefine a nation, they define our relationships, our involvement, 
with people, how we interact with people. And right now, one of the, the key things our nation is, is redefining is our relationship with Europe. Should we be part of Europe? Should we be out of Europe? What will be the benefits? What will be the consequences? You read the document, I'll tell you. We cannot let the voice of the politicians scaremonger us. There may be truth, there may be lies. I suggest there's a lot more lies than there is truth. That's just my opinion. But I'm letting you know my opinion. So our relationships, involvement to, to Europe, this will affect our future. It will affect our children's children, whether for or against. It will affect our children. I'd like to think that, see, if you look to Europe and you look to, to them to bring these things again, I'm saying what I've already said, so I'm going to shut up. I look, if we are a nation under almighty God, I'm not a nation under Brussels. I'm a nation under almighty God. He is my chief and commander. He's the supreme Lord of Lords. We started with him. We're going to finish with him. But we're not going to finish. We're going to continue before we finish. Amen. This is our place. Now, we all say yes to that. But you've got to... You've got to choose the ancient path. Got to choose the ancient path. And coming to church is not the choice. Because dead people go to church. Spiritually dead, I mean. Why? Because there's still religion. People have a religious conscience. So when we uh, look at how the nation's being redefined, we also see that the family is now being attacked and constantly being redefined. I told you last week, there's a statue just being erected in Birmingham that's now a picturesque in the new modern family. A statue, the council have allowed it to be put up. It pictures two women and a child. That's the welcome, this is the new addition to our family. Not mine. Not mine. Our Christian conscience is fading. It's fading rapidly. And the more you're in bed with other nations... The Bible tells us when you get involved with other nations, this is, certain things happen. That you follow their gods. And what is the God of Europe? Secular humanism. Okay? So if you go to Jude chapter 17 verse 2, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version this morning. Yours might be, might be similar, but just listen to what it says. But as for you, beloved, remember the prophetic words spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ... They used to say to you, let's just pause there for a minute. But as for you, beloved, remember the prophetic, the words spoken to you that I put in their brackets, prophetic, by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They used to say to you, now when you remember something, what are you doing? You're remembering the ancient path. You're remembering the good way. That's why you are being told to remember. So if I said to David, remember how your mum and dad picked you up, uh, brought you up? What am I asking him to do? Reflect on the ancient path. Come on. I'm asking him to go back into his memory and remember and recall how he was raised. Now, you know that not every person was raised good. We know that. But there is an element, even in the bad, there was good. Come on. Discipline was good. The overuse of discipline was bad. But discipline was good. So he says, remember the words. And then he goes on. In these days, meaning specific time period defined, 
There will be scoffers following after their own ungodly passions. Ooh. These are the ones who are agitators, causing divisions, worldly, minded, secular, unspiritual, carnal, merely sensual, unsaved, devoid of spirit. Wow, does your say that? But you, but you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, continually progress, rise like an edifice, higher and higher, pray in the spirit. So he's warning us, that there is a time and there is a moment when all these things happened. Now, how did these things happen? There was a moment in our nation's history or in a church's history where they came to the crossroads and they did not watch or listen. Hello? They did not watch and they did not listen and because they did not watch and listen, they did not guard. And because they did not guard... Things got in. And now he's writing to him to tell him, watch for these things because they're in amongst you. But how did they get in? Because someone didn't watch, someone didn't listen, someone didn't guard. Wow. Think of it. Secular, unspiritual, carnal, sensual, unsaved, people devoid of spirit are in their midst. How did they get in? That's the question. How did they get in? Because people open up the door of their own lives and let them in. And they're in amongst us. And now he's saying, be careful. In other words, the atmosphere has changed. It's not a Christian environment like you think it is. Because now right in the midst of Christ, there is secularism operating in the midst of the body. So what happens is, is the enemy now has now got inside our walls. And he's now what the Romans used to call the fifth column. That's how you defeat an empire from inside. We know the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. But inside, inside a church, you can destroy a church inside. Do you know I know that? We've all been party to gossip. Look at what your gossip does. It destroys the walls inside a church. We've all gossiped. I said we've all gossiped. And some people's gossip caused massive damage where now people have to leave. Yeah? So here he's talking about a specific time period. I know for sure this is now. Those people are inside church today. I don't mean this church. I mean church globally. So when you have a couple, let me give you some acknowledgement, how we know we're at that moment, how we know our walls are being besieged, how we know the nation, the secular humanistic approach is now inside the church. It's in the saints. I said it's in the saints. I said it's in the saints. It's amazing. It's now inside the church. So now the church is a reflection of the nation rather than the nation being a reflection of the church. So now we've been overtaken inside. When you have couples, one of the greatest, listen, one of the great debates in our nation is sexuality. Right? Everywhere you look, sexuality is being redefined. Is it not? Of course it is. Being redefined every day. 
So when you come to church, do you not think that we will still have the same issues? Of course we will. Because people are people. It'd be wonderful for everyone to be so godly that they know how to bring management to themselves. But you and I both know that's not true. Is it? Of course it's not. So when you have couples who sleep together in church, of which there are thousands right across Britain, right across the world, that those numbers go up and up and up. Christians sleeping together. But you know, the sad thing is, for many churches, it's like, not a problem. But for some, they go, <gasps> right? Now, here's, there, there's, the, there's the, the disparity between the two. The pendulum is way over there. Some churches won't tack the issue. They know it's going on, but they will not address the issue. Now, listen, if you come to this church and we talk about celibacy, finding the right woman, right man, doing it God's way, and you don't like it, where do you think you're going to head? To where? To the other church, exactly. And you're going to find someone who's going to listen to you and give you an excuse to carry on doing what you're doing. But you say we're still in church. The other guy now was wrong because we found someone who's going to show us, who tell us it's okay. That's the same church that these guys were talking about. That's exactly what's happening right now. You talk about debt, you talk about finance, and then you talk about tithing. So what do they do? They go to a church, what doesn't? And then they try and stand over there and say, well, tithing is just uh, Old Testament. Use whatever you want to use to get out of it. But you are now going to places listening to what your itching ears want to hear. That is now a sign of that day You've passed the crossroads, you won't listen, you won't learn, and you've allowed other things inside your heart. That's where the church is at. So when people come in the door and they're coming to your church for the first time, what you don't know is how many churches they've been to and what are they looking for? Are they looking for you to say yes or are they looking for you to say no? And if we say, well, the church is just a place of love and everyone's welcome and everyone is welcome, it doesn't mean to say your behavior is going to be welcomed. Why? Because this is the body of Christ. Now, if you want to have a large church, say nothing and do nothing. I'm sorry, we can't be that. Can't. Why? Because the pattern is the pattern. Your opinion of whether you think you can have sex or not is your opinion. It's your opinion. It's not what the Bible says. We'll all be judged by this standard, not your opinion. So I better align myself to what he's saying, not my opinion. Because it's no good me walking on that path, still doing that. Listen, when I was messing around, when I shouldn't have been messing around, I was always unfulfilled. I'm telling you now, I was always unfulfilled. But the moment I got in that water, and I've been so-called baptized before because all the youth in my church got baptized, so I thought, hey, if they're all wet, I've got to be wet. But when I came in and I turned my life around, and I was sat where Ralph was sat, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me that night, and I gave my life back to Christ, I got in that water, and I knew that path was going to an end. That path was closed. And when I walked down this path, my life began to change. I began to follow the ancient path. But there had to be a point where I consciously said goodbye to it. But most Christians want to be in the kingdom, but still walk and dabble on that path. 
And you wonder why your walls are besieged. So Isaiah 66, verse 6. So we've got 666. It's not demonic. It's a verse in the Bible. <laughs> Hear that uproar from the city. Hear that noise from the temple. It is the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies for all they deserve. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? I'm sure Mel has never heard of that. As our midwife. You can't have a baby born without birth pangs. But here it's saying it can. There's a, you can it's saying in this, it's a supernatural church that's bypassing all that. Yeah? You... Uh, let me come back, sorry. Who has ever seen such a thing? Can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Stop for a minute. Stand at the crossroads. Consider. He's asking us a question. Can a nation be born in a day? Now let's ask another question. Can our nation... Be reborn in a day. I believe it can. Because when, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, it's in the humbling that God begins to move afresh. And in that one choice, in that one decision, the nation's born again. It takes time for the fruits of it, but it starts with the decision. So, as you come to this poll and as you come to this crossroad and making your vote, and as we see the walls of the church being besieged, and we see families are being ravaged and redefined, God asks us as a people, can your nation be born in a day? That's the question, and you have to answer that by faith. Your faith now is to say, yes, Lord, you can. So then he says, okay, give me your hands, Phil, a minute. Just put your pad down. This is what happens. This is, what, this is where we are at right now as a church. Watch this next action. So I come at Phil's crossroads. Phil's losing despair. He's losing hope. And I speak to him at the crossroads and I say to him, do you believe this nation that you live in? Do you believe it can be born again? Yes. And, and God waits. And he waits for Phil's answer. Right? And then... According to Phil's answer, let's just say it's a yes, then God does that. Come me. Good. Let's partner together and let's do something about it. I didn't ask you the question just so you could give me an answer. I asked you a question so you could rise and partner with me. If I ask you the question and you say yes, but do nothing about it, pointless. But when Phil put his hands out then, the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of him in that illustration and said, come, let us partner. Now... We have materials to begin to change what God is about to do. God looks for a man and a woman. He looks for a church to partner with him. This is what he's saying to us in these next six to seven months. God's looking for your partnership. Not for your, not just listen, not just for looking, but your attention to walk in it. Phil got off his backside and he walks and followed me. Hello? He got off his backside and he walked and he followed me down a path. How many of you got with the wrong person and ended up down the wrong path? 
course. Course. I'm speaking to my granddaughter yesterday in the car. And we're having one of those adult-to-adult conversations. She's six years of age, going on 17. And I said to her, what do you want to do in life? And she's saying, you know, I'd like to do this, like this. And I just stopped her. I said, no, no, you probably misunderstood what granddad was saying. So let me say it again, darling. What kind of person do you want to be? I asked her what kind of person she wanted to be, not what she wanted to do. And she thought about it. And then she starts, well, I want to be, I want to be considerate. Six years of age, she wants to be considerate. Whoa, okay, that's good. That's good. Then she says, I want to be kind. So I said, well, that's good. Are you kind now? She says, yes, I think I am. She's, and then she starts telling me how she's helping one of these girls in her class get through her stats, and, and she's helping her. And I said, well, that's good. That's good. That's good, Ella. And then she says to me, I want to be, uh, what's the word she used now? The word for honor. I want to honor someone. Respectful. Respectful. I want to be respectful. So I said, okay, what does that mean? Uh, I'm not quite sure. So I said, well, why did you say it? Because I know I want to be it, but I don't know why. So I starts explaining to her what respectful is. And I said, no, here's the thing in all that Grandma's just said. You are not, one day you won't become those things. You start today because I asked you what kind of person you want to become. I said, it's a process, sweetheart. When you don't know these things, you ask grown-ups, grown-ups help you. And so you become that person. She went, Grandma, I don't want to do that. I said, well, great. You're a standard bearer. You're my first recruit. Join up, sign up. That's it. She gets the badge. And it's simple conversations like that, but she doesn't want to sit on her backside. Now I've educated her. She wants to take the journey. Children, you don't need a lot of education. The will's there. What you need, what you and I want is more education and more education and more education, but we've got no will. We've got a will problem. So one nation can be reborn. United Kingdom, Great Britain, whatever you want to call her, can be reborn. Our families can be rebirthed. We will never stop promiscuity. We will never stop it. And you think, well, that's a defeatist mentality. No, it's not. But we can turn more people around. I can't take someone's free will away from them, but what I can do is reduce the atmosphere in the nation that then stops penetrating and pestering people to make the wrong choices. I can do that through prayer. How many of you believe? It says here, let's finish that verse off. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not not deliver? No, you don't, says the Lord. Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery? Says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice greatly. All you who mourn for her, for you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting breast. You will drink, excuse me, you will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. God's turning the nation around and bringing it into abundance. But he needs a group to people who will partner with him. Yes? And he starts off in that verse, listen to the noise in the city and listen to the noise in the temple. Where was it all going wrong? In the city and in the temple. Wow. So God brings the nation to a crossroads. Why? Because his mercy gives us a chance to change. 
Do you know there's beauty and there is power in a crossroad junction? There is. Let me read Hosea, Hosea chapter 9, verse 8. The prophet, the prophet along with my God. So who's he in partnership with? The prophet and God together are in partnership. Listen to this. The prophet along with my God. So there's two there. So let's just use the illustration I used before. Phil and me. Well, let's just go back to that and say the prophet and he's God. Oh, sorry, I'm God. He's the prophet. So he walked with me. Okay, in that illustration I used. The prophet along with my God is the watchman over Ephraim. So there is a sphere of influence. There's a given territory where God and the prophet together can watch over. You seen this? Yet snares await him on all his paths. So there's trouble ahead waiting for him. And hostility, where's the hostility? In the house of God. You want to change a nation, start with what's inside. The church. There are many domains that we can't affect because we don't have the people or we don't have that. God hasn't given us that grace yet. But we can start with a house. But notice where the hostility started, inside the house. But thank God, the prophet and, the, and God together were walking. Because when you've got the prophet and God walking together, at least there's always a voice. God is merciful. Now, when I looked at this and I began to look at my own history, I began to see how God works in mysterious ways. And how God brings each one of us to a crossroad juncture. If I said, many of you won't know these names, but some of you will know these names. But if I said, Alf Misson, Harry Webb, Ernie Sherman, I know you know them all. Eric Beresford, Luth Meyer, Colin Carson, David Morse, Graham Little. They all had one thing in common. Now you say, well, they're all pastors. Yes, they were, but that's not what I'm referring to. They all had one thing in common. They were all former pastors of the Dream Center, or Beth, Bethel Christian Center, or Bethel Tabernacle, depending on how far you go back. They were all pastors of this house, this wonderful house. Each one had their graces, flavors, flaws. Yes, grace, flavors, and flaws. Work out which one fits in what bracket. It's not for me. But I marvel at the fact that God put me in that timeline with those characters. Or I like to call them the great cloud of witnesses. Why? Because we're all witnessing each other's race. We all witnessed each other's race in that time frame. Yes, all these pastors. Now, I didn't choose. No one chooses to be a pastor. You conform to a will... The Father's will, because it's the Father who calls us. You can't make anyone a pastor. Well, you can. If the gift and calling of God is not in them, I can't make someone a pastor if you're not a pastor. But if the grace is there, all we do is acknowledge the grace. It's not a job. It's not a job. It's a function. So, When I look at these, all these guys had one thing in common. Do you know what it was? They all, they all, they all had a crossroad juncture. 
What do I mean by that? I'm glad you asked. They all had an opportunity to pass the baton on. And they all had an opportunity to raise people up. Yes? They were all given similar opportunities. But they all made different choices. Somewhere down that line. And the way they left and the way they entered was a result of the way someone else left. Because the way you leave is the way you enter somewhere else. You know that, don't you? And every one of them was a story behind a story. And that's how you got them as your pastor. Yes? And then you found some things became visible. And you think, ah, oh, maybe it was like that in his last church. Or maybe you didn't ask that question. I don't know. Not many of you were around. Some of you are, but... They all had an opportunity to run the race called legacy. Yes? Now, when we come to a crossroad juncture, things bring us to this crossroad juncture. Are you ready for this? Normally, fighting and squabbling brings you and I to a crossroad juncture. When I decide to say to my wife, see you, love, I'm going a different way, what do you think brought us to that point? Arguing and fighting. And then I'll use all kinds of terminology. I've just fallen out of love with you. But how much arguing did we do to encourage that process? How much squabbling? So arguing and squabbling very often brings people to a point of choice and decision. Would you agree with that? Now, how many of you know that arguing, fighting and squabbling can also be a positive thing? As much as it's a negative thing. Why? It's positive. Or should I say, it's negative if all I do is slander and leave. But it's positive if, I, if it brings reconciliation. That's the key. If I can bring reconciliation through my fighting and squabbling, and I can be humble enough to go and seek reconciliation, then a crossroad juncture was very profitable. Was it not? Of course it was. How many of you know Paul and Barnabas hit a crossroads over John Mark? How many of us argue over other people? Yeah? How many of us argue about other people wanting to go down a path with other people? Or take other people? Paul had an argument with Barnabas. Now there was contention, but guess what? It was okay. Because they still were in love with each other. Spiritually speaking. So that was one that positive. It was positive. John Mark eventually came good. But I disagree with Barnabas for going down that route. I personally think he took the wrong turn. You were more of Paul than you do Barnabas. I wonder why. So the next thing that we fight over at the, at the, uh, the juncture is this. Is wisdom for your future. How many parents will fight over their children? Come university, come leaving school. How many parents will fight with their kids about what's good for them? How many of our kids want to lie in bed all day? How many of our kids think they've got all day in the, they've got all the time in the world to change the world, but they haven't? Let me give you another one. This is a big one, certainly in churches. The transfer of legacy versus succession and denominational perseverance. Oh, sorry, preservation. Like what I'm saying here now. Denomination 
The people in denominationalism tend to think that the denomination is their covering and their protection. And they seem to think that the denomination is the storehouse where all that this church lacks, they will supply to them. But what they don't realize is that they're just as barren as the church. Legacy says, we raise people up so our storehouse is always full. We know there's famines coming, but we will not be, we will not be in a famine. We'll always have resources and supplies in a famine. We will be able to lend to other people. We'll be able to supply in, our, in other people's famine. We will have riches. Why? Because we build for it today. And if you build for it today, that you will be able to supply your future. But this is what causes people to break relationship at the crossroads. Legacy or denominationalism. When I, when I came to my crossroads, this was exactly the issue. Do we stay with denominationalism? Now that means we didn't leave, but we knew it wasn't our future. We knew it didn't have the words of eternal life. We knew there was constraints. We knew there was limitations. We knew the wine had run out. We knew the skin was old. We could see the constraints on denominationalism, how it wants to lead and cannot lead. We could see the lack of prophetic voice there is at certain key times. We saw that, but others didn't. They wanted to preserve AOG. God called me into the ministry. He didn't call me into AOG. I was in AOG because this church was already AOG. That's it. If this would have been FYG, I would have been FYG. Why? Because that's what the church was. I was walking into something that was already there. But once you start walking into it, I, you weren't the ones who saw how they trained me. It was terrible, the way they trained me. I got more training in two weeks in moi, Malaysia, than I had in all my ministry training. You know, the man, with him, the man with the wisdom or the man with the experience is never at the mercy of the man with an argument. So, what I began to see is this whole thing of continuation. Most of my ministry friends in this area are no longer here. And I've joined meetings with them. I've held hands with them. I've drawn swords with them and fought a battle. But guess what? The issue of legacy has gone. Go and look at those churches, many of those churches who talked about, who who believed that denominational preservation will save them. Go and ask them where their churches are now. God showed us a pattern at that time. Build legacy. Build legacy. Build for legacy. Invest in people. Work with people. Train with people. And if they don't want to go, find someone else. But you can only work and train and invest with people who want to be trained and invested in. So many people want to be where you are, want to go where you're going, but they will not put the hard yards in. So you can't be trained. You can listen, you can be around, you can drink our tea and coffee, but you'll never be there. Why? Because you won't give your heart. Training is about giving yourself so that someone else can take what you give and develop it. If you don't give anything, what is there to train? So, right now, 
The worst thing could possibly ever happen in here. And I'll tell you right now, so you all know, up front. If I ever stand at the front and say, God is leading me on, and I'm going somewhere else, the next question you should be able to ask is, who's going to lead us? And I should be able to say, the sons are already here. The sons are already here. The daughters are already here. If you ever hear me say, I'll ring up the assemblers of God and ask him to send someone from the morgue, right? Shoot me right there. Why? Because I failed as your leader. If I ever have to pick the phone up to get somebody who's never, who doesn't know you, who's never known us, and it's just another opportunity for them, something's wrong with my leadership. You can't blame the guy who's coming through the door. He's just been asked. But you blame the leaders who did not raise somebody up for continuation and legacy. That is the key, my friends. We never say, hello, is that the morgue? Yeah, can you send us another dead body? Because, and I say that, of the, of the denomination, not people in it. I'm talking about the system, not the men in it. Now, at some point, it comes down to men. But the system is not providing for the church. It's not. And it was never meant to. So, the next one is vision versus maintenance. Do we maintain what we've got and just keep it all safe? Or do we take it to the next level? I'm going to finish in a minute. Just give me two minutes. When these guys who, who I class as my great cloud of witnesses, and they are great cloud of witnesses, I give them honor. Even though I didn't know every one of them, I didn't know Eric Beresford, didn't know. I met Alf Misson, interviewed him for our Jubilee. Now he's gone, on to the, he's gone to be with the Lord. So I didn't meet uh, him. I didn't know Harry Webb and I didn't know Eric Beresford, though I met him at the Jubilee. I can't say I knew him. But those others that I knew were key. And what I mean is, when Eric Beresford, and Gwen will know this, when I'm talking about the juncture, this is the guy that wanted to take the church in a certain direction and they changed the locks on him. They locked him out of the church. That kind of tells you we're at a juncture there that some people didn't want him to take us down. Rightly or wrongly, the actions was wrong, of the people was wrong. Right? Why? Because they and the elders locked him out. Now, if you ever do that, you ever do that on me, I know where all the gaps are in this wall. I'm coming back. I'm coming through that one. Coming through the roof. Yeah. But can you imagine changing the locks? That tells you they were at a crossroad juncture and there was tension in the air. Then there was David Moss. I love David Moss. David Moss was a great guy to me. But then David's contention came over who's going to be the visionary. And other guys didn't like him as the visionary. So then what happened? One went left, one went right. Then we come to uh, Graham Little. Graham Little, same problem, same issue again. Visionary, who's going to be the visionary and who's going to be the maintainer? That issue there separated them again. Right? This is what happens <coughs> every so often. Contention is what separates people at the crossroads. Yes? And then it came to me. Same thing happened again. But this time, only God knows 
and oh, this is God, this is not me, I'm not smarter than the average bear. But what happened was, is I knew when it came to my point of contention that the future of this church was, was at stake. It wasn't about me having power or control. It was about the path. I seriously believed at that time that the church was going to be derailed if we didn't stand our ground. I didn't make it personal. I didn't attack the men. I didn't attack the man. But here's the issue. Only God knows what he put inside his own man. Only God knows. In that whole timeline, we had the same potential to go the same way as we've always gone. But then God brings in a prophet by the name of Anthony Chapman. And Anthony Chapman is a man that we and Phil and I had grown fond of. We'd listened to his ministry a few times and we had credibility. And I would say he was one of the few prophets in the assemblies of God. But because he was radical, people didn't like, like him and listen to him. And a prophet's never honoured in his own what? Right, or his own denomination. And he stood here. Oh, this floor is so memorable. I've had so many encounters. I remember when my tears fell over there, where I threw my toys out the pram over there. I remember this floor is so, you know, memorable. In fact, I'm taking this to heaven with me. This will become my threshing floor. And I remember Anthony Chapman standing, and this is the words he used. You ready for this? You have gone down the ancient path. This was to Colin Carson. Two of us, two pastors kneeling down here, and he's prophesying over the pair of us. And this is where the ancient path and the crossroads came in the life of this church. Because he spoke to Colin, he went, the path you've been down has been a good path. You've chosen well. You've, you've done this, you've done that. And he was commending him for the path. It had it, gone down, which absolutely, that was the path I was part of. I, I loved it. Listen, I've only ever got praise for my, my pastor. Only ever got praise for him. But I knew there was a defining point coming here. And he said to him, your path, but you cannot take him down this path. And we didn't know what that meant. And he said, he used the illustration of the wagons in the West. And how, how you pulled, the blaze the trail. He said, he has now got to blaze his own trail. And there was a coming, a separation between me and him. Pain comes at separation. Yes. Pain comes. But that was the price we had to pay to get on this path. So what we did, we come to a crossroads so I could continue walking in my path. But if pain would have gripped my heart, I would have taken another path. But what happened is, is because there was reconciliation in my heart, sometimes it takes a separation for you to come back again and be reconciled. So you do that. Watch. And that was the story of how we got on this path called the apostolic. Because at that point, you could not be here had we have not taken that path. You could not have taken this. Many of my friends no longer have a path. Many of those congregations now do not have a path. Why? Because their pastor blew it. They didn't raise somebody up. Now, when everything's up for redefining, it would have been so easy for Satan to have got in that and messed that up. Can you see that? Now, how many of you, how many of you, being honest, 
felt, I'm not talking about the ones who have been here now a while, so there have been times in the Dream Center when, where because of the context, so because of the contention at the crossroads, the people suffered. Because of what's going on in the ministry, the people suffer. And it spills out to the people. And what happens is, is the fox gets in. And it begins to ravage, ravage the sheep over personalities. But this was never about personality. The others might have been personal. I can't speak for them. But for me, it was never about personality. It was about the destiny of continuing in the path. And when destiny is in your heart, I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. You cannot let it go. The opportunity for the fox to come in here and ruin the vine was an opportunity that we did not give that fox. Oh, man, was it hard. There's times when you as a people have felt exposed. Because of the squabblings that went on in leadership, you the people were exposed when you should never have been. Hello? There were times when, when a church goes, when a, when a man falls, the people feel disgraced. When a man morally falls in leadership, the people feel the disgrace because they trusted him. And then other people start talking about what's going on. And you go to that church and you feel a sense of shame and disgrace. Hello? When that happens, you feel uncovered. And all this is being contended at the crossroad juncture. But you get it sorted out and you can go. And then there'll be another time when you come to another crossroad juncture and then you fight the battles at that crossroad juncture. There's times when we felt there are no walls. And you know what? God has given us a ministry of rebuilding walls. This is where we now stand. And from this point on, I can now take you into the next part of the journey where we're going as a church. Because I wanted to bring you last week and this week, I wanted to show you that we've paid the price to walk down the next part of the journey. Well, some of us paid the price. And you've all paid an individual price for you to be here. It's not easy listening to me. It takes a grace. I keep telling you that it does. You've paid a price and some of you need to pay a greater price. Your parents pay a price for the children and the children get an easier ride. And you can't keep saying to your kids, well, you know, daddy paid that big price for you. Your kids are going to say, dad, get off my back. I don't keep telling you what I had to do to be here. I just want you to know that we are now clear to go to our next level. Because of choices and the pattern's been laid. We said this morning in our prayer meeting, we can ask, we can call people back because we've laboured to put the path down. Though many have walked off the path, thank God the path's still there. Pioneers build paths. Now, I didn't build that path called the Dream Centre. My forefathers built the path. But when, they, when it came to my turn to stand at the crossroads, now God is saying, now you're going to be a pioneer from here on because now there's no one else to show you the way. So now we can go. And that's when God then creates pathways called Malaysia, Australia, 
Why? Because God sees it's in our hearts to keep on going. So now we're like that, we're putting paths down. So if I put a path down, he can walk on it. He can walk on it. He can walk on it. They can walk on it. If you don't build, your kids have got nothing to follow you with. Does that make sense? The prophet and his God. The people and their God. Together. We'll stand together and we'll trust God for our future. We'll trust God for our path. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path that leads to life. And few walk on that path. So let's stand to our feet, if you will, please. I wanted to go somewhere else, but we just don't have that time. But... Some men want to run. And some men just run with bad news. Do you know that? In this race, everybody's got to run. But some will run with bad news and some will run with good news. I know what I'm going to run with. The baton, the legacy that we are trying to laboring for, I believe our discipleship is a pioneering work. I believe when we, sat our, when we launch our school next year, 2.17, the time is going so fast. I believe that we are, part, we are chartering unknown waters. God has given us an opportunity to, to pioneer something that's never been done in our history. That is frightening. <laughs> it's scary. Right? It really is. And it's going to change the life of this church. It's going to change the life of this church. Now, some of you think, well, no, not for me. I ain't getting involved. You're involved. You're here. None of this, I'm not getting involved. You're involved. You're here. It involves you, the very fact that you're here. Okay? God will touch your heart. Well, not me. Yeah, you. You. And I love it when someone resists. You're normally the one that goes full in. The resistor normally gets turned around, and you go full on. I'm full in. You know what I know? Because I was a resistor. But Father, thank you for bringing us to the crossroads. Thank you for making sense of the journey. Thank you, O oh God, that we are now able to redefine the future. We're able to bring the family into this future. Father, I thank you for every family assembled here. Right now, oh God, walls are down. There's gaps in the wall. But, oh God, you're giving us the grace to rebuild these walls. Father, I believe, oh God, over these next coming months, oh God, Lord, I'm going to see healings break out. I'm going to see re reconciliation with families, fathers and sons, sons with fathers, daughters, mothers, aunties, uncles. We're going to see a beautiful restoration. Father, we're, we're giving the fox no room opportunity to move in our midst. We stand as one people, Lord. We come to the crossroads and we say, Lord, you are our God. We are your people. And Father, from that premise, Lord, take us into our next phase. Come on, church, just begin to say, Lord, I'm here. I'm standing at the crossroads. I'm part of this. He's not talking to them. He's talking to me and he's talking to us. A place, a place for your children, a destiny for your children, a future for your children, your children's children. 
are going to enjoy. A nation can be born in a day. A church can be rebirthed in a moment. A city can be refired in a moment. God has given us an opportunity to rebirth the church. Rebirth it. <coughs> and you know, church, I believe this, if, that if we can really come to this point as one person, the next thing that you'll see is the fire of God will begin to fall. The fire of God will begin to fall and it will begin to equip us, begin to bring reconciliation. It will give you the will, the want to go and do the things that you need to do. That fire must fall on us and purge all impurities out of us. I stand here as a man who reconciled his differences. I reconciled my differences. I can speak about my forefathers with no animosity. The slate is clear. The slate is clear with all my predecessors. And I'm free to pursue the future. I haven't got a skeleton in my cupboard that's going to come back and haunt me and say, yeah, but you didn't do that with him. And you're an hypocrite. No, I'm not. I reconciled my differences under God Almighty's witness. I did what I need to do. And now the, the way for me to, leave, to lead you into the next phase with the elders, we can do it. Why? Because we've got a clean slate. But now the people must be clean. That's why it says consecrate yourself. Today for tomorrow you're crossing over. You must consecrate yourself. Today is the day you hear this word. Because tomorrow you're crossing over. We're going to continue this journey. It's not a different path. It's the same path that was always allotted to us. So church, we must consecrate ourselves. Come on, let's just stand before the Lord. Consecrate yourself today. For tomorrow, tomorrow we cross over. Tomorrow we put our best foot forward. Oh, Father. Come on, church. Come on, church. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit right now. Every man, every woman, every child. And in this building, oh God, Father, let, the, let there be a cleansing, oh God, in our hearts. Let there be no past unresolved issues. I pray for every marriage, every relationship, under God's ordinance. I pray, oh God, for righteousness in every family. I pray for purity in every relationship. I pray for godliness. I pray for the fear of the Holy Spirit, the fear of God to be in our hearts. Oh God, bring a reverence to our hearts. Lord, we're asking you for the ancient path. We want to walk in it, Lord. And when you ask the Holy Spirit I want to show me his path, he says, I'm going to show it you if you're serious. I want to walk in it. And when you walk in it, you can't keep looking back and comparing the future with the past. You can't keep bringing old reference points. Come on, church. Stop trying to embrace your future but giving your past reason 
to keep you in your past. You take your best foot forward and you carry on. Stop looking in the past to justify. There are no justifications. Let go, give in, and make a journey. You cannot take some past friends with you, hurt, pain, bitterness. You cannot take them where you're going. And until you let go of those things, you cannot go on a continuous journey. Let it go. Consecrate yourself. It might take some time. It might take some fasting. Go and fast. Let God purge it out of you. You hear me, church? You might need to go and fast. Ask God to burn it out of you. Every reason why you can't. Every reason why. Someone else got this. Someone else had that. Hey, that's you calling in there. Let go of it. Listen to the sound of your own voice. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name. Tenderize us. Tenderize us, O oh God, with your word, with your love, with your wisdom. Speak to us, O oh God, afresh. Cause us to wake up in the middle of the night, O oh God, with, the, with a word. To wake up in the morning with a word. Give us clarity, O oh God. Visit us, O oh God, in our sleep. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.